This is the Collector Car Podcast, the home for the auto enthusiast. Join Greg Stanley as he applies over 25 years of insights and analytical experience to the collector car market. He will interview the experts and throw in some fun stuff as well. Hey, it's Greg Stanley. If you're listening to this podcast, you know I love everything automotive. This passion has expanded to include being a car specialist consultant for RM Sotheby's. So if you need assistance buying or consigning a collector car at any one of our online or live auctions, including Scottsdale, Amelia Island, or Monterey, you can reach one of our car specialists at rmsotheby's.com or you can email me directly at gstanley at rmsotheby's.com. Metron Garage is a company designing unique garages, condos, and other structures specifically for the auto enthusiasts. They've got eight models to choose from, including two-story options, which I think is super cool, while with a very modern look and feel to them. And they come in all sizes, and they're fully customizable. You can check out them today and start specking your own ultimate garage at metrongarage.com, where you can request a catalog or talk to someone to learn more. So be sure to check it out. I just want to give a quick thanks to Euro Classics for sponsoring this episode. Euro Classics is all about collector cars, from servicing your new BMW M5 to prepping your Porsche for the racetrack to executing a total restoration on your favorite classic. They do it all from routine maintenance to performance upgrades to appraisals and everything in between. You can learn more about its owner, Dale Oaks, by listening to episode number 65 of this podcast. And you can find Euro Classics in the Kentucky, Ohio, Indiana service area and online at euroclassics.com. Classics, C-L-A-S-S-I-X dot com. Welcome to the Collector Car Podcast. Hey, it's Greg. Uh, before we talk about JDM cars today, I do want to give you a little couple updates. Uh, first off, I will be at the Dayton Concord Delegance this weekend. So if you're going to be there, please shoot me a note. I would love to meet you in person. And as far as the podcast, we have some exciting stuff coming up, including Patrick Long. We'll talk about Porsches and Luft. I will interview the author of the Brumos Anthology Theories about the uh, Brumos Racing Team out of Jacksonville, Florida, my hometown. Matt, the moderator, D'Andrea, will show up and talk about next-generation collector cars, which would be pretty cool. And I will continue to update market trends and have some fun stuff talking about different cool and exciting things. All right, let's see. Now, this episode is all about JDM cars. And be sure to listen to the end of this episode as I will review some of the craziness that is happening in preparation for the legal importation of the Nissan Skyline R34. Now, if you don't know what an R34 is, stay tuned because I will tell you. But first, you know, what are JDM cars? Now, per Wikipedia, which I thought was pretty good, Japanese domestic market, JDM, refers to Japan's home market for vehicles. For the importer, these terms refer to vehicles and parts designed to conform with Japanese regulations and to suit Japanese buyers. The term is abbreviated as JDM. Now, many a times, this will manifest itself as being a right-hand drive car. Some of these cars look like the same cars we have here in the U.S., so they do have a not an Acura NSX, but there's a Honda NSX that's right-hand drive, Japanese-only there is a Nissan 300ZX, but it's also called the Fair Lady. So there's some fun, interesting things. Some of the cars you would recognize, some of them will not look recognizable at all. And I'll go over what some of those cars are here shortly. Some of them are quirky. Some of them have gullwing doors, but they're only a $20,000 car. From HotCars.com, JDM, of course, refers to the Japanese domestic market. Basically, cars that are only sold in Japan. However, with time, it's been watered down to include cars that are made in Japan, exported to other countries. Some JDM cars were never available in the United States. 
Others have been slightly modified to make them legal for importation. Japanese car makers have given us some of the greatest cars ever, and any true car enthusiast remembers how the Nissan Skyline R32 won the Australian Bathurst 1000 in both 1991 and 1992, upsetting the status quo and forcing rule changes that banned Godzilla from competing in the race. We'll talk more about the R32 and the term Godzilla here shortly. Every Japanese car manufacturer has its own unique characteristics, and in some cases, that has earned them a cult-like following. Nissan, for example, is known for cars that can be easily tuned to achieve mind-boggling power. Mitsubishi is known for cars that can corner at around three times the speed of sound. So I don't know exactly what that's referring to, but it does sound fast. Okay, for my overview of JDM cars, you can go way back and listen to episode number 22, What Are JDM Cars and Why You Should Care? And I even talk about some of the cost of owning a car in Japan, including tolls, parking, different things like that. I did kind of a deep dive. What event made me want to revisit the JDM market trends? Well, mostly what happened was in Monterey. So I was bid spotting in Monterey, had these amazing cars cross the block. The very last car of the entire auction was a 1995 Nissan Skyline GTR, also known as the R33. That's the generation model number. And the estimate on this car was $90,000 to $120,000. Now, a couple points about this car. It was the R33, quote-unquote, Godzilla, a champion of Japanese domestic market performance, finished in desirable midnight purple, which is apparently pretty rare, over two-tone gray interior, had a 2.6-liter twin-turbocharged inline-six-cylinder paired with a five-speed manual gearbox and all-wheel drive. And this one was delivered new to Japan and imported to the U.S. in 2020. And it was offered in all-original, unmodified condition with just over 28,000 miles. Now, as I said before, the estimate was ninety dollars to $120,000. It was the last car of the entire Monterey auction. The room had pretty much cleared out, but there were a handful of dedicated JDM enthusiasts and they bid this car up to $235,000, almost twice the high estimate. So a light bulb went off in my little tiny head, and I said, actually my rather large head, uh, and I said to myself, I need to revisit JDM market trends. Now, where did the term Godzilla come from that I mentioned a couple times just previous? Let's see, Drive Tribe. This is from Drive Tribe. The R32 GTR 1989, that was the modern interpretation of the Skyline. The Skyline actually in the GTR go way back to 1969, but the modern interpretation was designed to be the best road-going machine that has ever come out of Japan, and it was designed for one sole purpose, to dominate the Group A races in Japan Touring Car Championship. After designing a car, Nissan entered seven racing R32s into the All Japan Touring Car Championship Division 1 in 1990 season in the 1990 season, but all its rivals withdrew after just one year because the GTR dominated every single race. And since then, the race series virtually became a one-make GTR series until 1993. The GTR beat everything in Division 1 from the BMW E30 M3 to the Sierra Cosworth that the teams used to run. They were all beaten. The GTR won 29 races out of 29 tour car races in the three years that it ran in. All of the races on the calendar. That's how dominating the GTR was, and that's why the R32 is called Godzilla. Now to get a flavor of some other non-GTR JDM cars, 
Uh, I want to review a couple of the top three cars listed in this Hot Cars article. The article is 15 JDM cars everyone should drive at least once. So I'm not going to talk about all 15. Just going to talk about the top three. So number three was a Nissan 300ZX. Not the one you and I know here in the States, but the one from Japan. The Nissan 300ZX is akin to having a grandmother who used to be a supermodel. It is still a very cool car, but because of its age, it is not without its problems and can be extremely temperamental. There were two different 300ZX models produced for the JDM and U.S. markets, and despite popular opinions, the 300ZX and Fair Lady, as it was known in Japan, are different and had different engines. So that's the number three car. Number two is the Toyota AE86. Now this looks like, in my mind, a Nissan 200SX from the early 1990s. One of the most famous cars in the world and forever linked to tofu delivery. I'm not sure of that reference. The AE86 is a lightweight rear-wheel drive twin cam inline four car that is pure fun. The AE86 was never supposed to be a drift king. So this is the car that became so popular with drifting. Part of the appeal of the AE86 is that it doesn't really wake up until you're virtually over-revving the engine. And with only 128 horsepower available, the car can only be controlled by real drifting skills rather than using the throttle to get out of trouble. That's a pretty interesting point. All right, the number one car, number one JDM car to drive is a Nissan Pulsar GTI-R. Again, a car I've never heard of. While everybody was paying attention to the R32 GTR, the Godzilla, in the early 1990s, Nissan released a tiny all-wheel drive version of its Pulsar to compete at the World Rally Championship. The car had a 2-liter turbocharged motor that made 230 horsepower and could hit 60 miles per hour from a standstill in 5 seconds flat. It was never released in the U.S. and never really enjoyed the same success as the GTR Skyline Godzilla did in competition competition motorsports thanks to a strong competition from Ford and Toyota. The GTIR was one of the one of the first hot hatches in the world and was affectionately known as Baby Godzilla in Japan. Oh, isn't that cute? All right, now there are, like I said, a lot of JDM cars out there. I'm not going to talk about all of them. The Godzilla, the GTR is pretty much, in my mind, the barometer, the most popular car. Uh, but I will mention some of these other nameplates so you're aware of what's out there. Now, hold on. This is a lot. So we have the AutoZom AZ1 Coupe. That's the car that has the little gull wings that I mentioned to you. Daihatsu Mini Trucks. Those are very popular. The Honda had the Beat. The CRX still sold. The Integra, Honda Integra, not Acura. They didn't have Acura in Japan. The Honda Legend, the Honda NSX. There's an Isuzu Bighorn SUV, the Mazda Cosmos, the Mitsubishi Delica Space Gear Van, Mitsubishi Evo, Mitsubishi Jeep, the Pajero Exceed SUV. Interesting names on these SUV. Now there's a bunch here for Nissan. So there's the BE1 Hatchback, the Cedric Sedan, the Fairlady 300ZX we talked about, the Figaro, the Gloria VIP Brome Sedan, the Powell Coupe, the President Sovereign Sedan, the Sylvia and as I mentioned, the Skyline. Now for Subaru, we have the Impreza WRX, similar to the one in the U.S. The Suzuki had the Cappuccino Convertible. And Toyota had a few like the Century Sedan, the Sarah, and the Crown Royal Saloon Station Wagon. So that's just a snapshot. If you want to see some really cool JDM cars you can buy now, just Google Duncan Imports. They're out of Tennessee and out of North Carolina. I think they have like 50 Figaros on site uh, that are available. And the figure is really cute little car. Only made for, I think, one year, 1991. 
All right, most of the cars I just mentioned can be bought between ten and $30,000 and are not tracked by any of the valuation tools. To get an idea of what is happening in the JDM marketplace, I reached out to our friends at Haggerty. The Nissan Skyline is the most sought-after model and a good barometer for JDM trends. So if the Skyline's going up, chances are some of the other JDM cars are going up as well, not nearly as much because, like I said, this is the most sought-after JDM model. But first, I wanted to see if there was any activity within the U.S. spec GTRs. So when I looked at Haggerty's database, looked at U.S. spec GTRs, I pulled the 2012 Nissan GTR Black Edition, and then the last three months, that's how fast these things are moving, the last three months, they're up 18.9%, almost 19%. Number, These are all number two quality, $89,000. And the 2015 Nissan GTR Nismo, is up 20.2% up to $155,000. So that's a big increase. That one increased 26 grand in just three months. Well, then I wanted to look at how the other JDM cars within Haggerty's database were performing. And like I said, there weren't a lot. There was a 1970 Nissan Fairlady Z. So that's basically the 240Z, but the Japanese version. That Let's see, for three years, that had more of a historical timeline in here. For three years, it was up 11.4%. And as I mentioned before, the 1991 Nissan Figaro, over three years, is up 40%. So uh, increases across the board there. Okay, and finally, I wanted to look at the Skyline results, starting with the original GTR in 1969. So let's see. There's a lot of generations of these cars. By the time we got to 1969, it was actually the third generation of the car. And so the 1969 Nissan Skyline 2000 GTR, let's see, the three-year difference is up 15.2%. This is a more mature car, so I think in the last three months it was actually flat, but last three years is up 15.2%. And then by the time we get to the eighth generation of the Skyline, that's when we get to 1989. That's when we get to the R32. So just for reference, the R32 generation went from 1989 to 1994. The R33 went to 1995 to 1998. Those are all legal for importation. And then the one that's not, and we'll talk about it a little bit more here in a second, is the R34, the 10th generation of the Skyline, and that is 1999 to 2002. So like I said before, those cannot be imported until they hit the 25-year mark. I don't think I said that before. As I just said a second ago, those cannot be imported until they hit the 25-year mark. So we're looking at January of 2000 and 24. Now there are a couple cars in the database for all of these generations so let's go with the R32, the 1992 Nissan Skyline GTR V-Spec in the last three months has gone up 24.3% up $28,000 up to $143,000 for a car in number two condition. For the R33 I pulled a bunch of different models for 1996 uh, all of them were up except for one was flat. Uh, let's see, the GT, the base GTR was up 14%. The GTR LM Limited was up 6%. The big one was the GTR Nismo 400R. So that one had, I think, instead of 276 horsepower, it had 330 horsepower. That one went up 206.8% in three months. It almost looks like it's a typo because it went from $440,000 in May of 2021 to $1.35 million in September of $910,000 in three months. So one or two of those sold for crazy prices, causing the valuations to go way up. Now the V-Spec is up 13.8. So anyways, when I took all the different models for 1996, 
put them in my agonculator, they were up 100.9% in three months. Now, when I look at the only R34 that's in the database, is a 2002 Nissan Skyline GTR M-Spec NERV, so top of the line. It's up 4.3% and went up $15,000 with a valuation of $362,000. So across the board, pretty much all of them except for one that I found, the GTRs are up double digits. And as they go up, you know, the other JDM cars are following suit. Now, this is from Drive Tribe, Josh S. So why, he was basically asking, why can't we get the R34 yet? So here's his comments. Then why are the R34s illegal in the United States? It is because of the famous, or some would say, the infamous 25-year rule. The 25-year rule is basically saying that you legally cannot import a non-U.S. market vehicle that are less than 25 years old. The 25-year rule is mandated in 1988, way before the R33 or R34 were made, and the focus was not even JDM vehicles. In the 1980s, gray market vehicles have been a massive boom in the United States. In 1985 alone, more than 60,000 gray vehicles were imported to the States. Those gray vehicles were cheap and often quite tempting, but there was a fatal flaw in it, safety hazards. So these were the cars that weren't legal. They were brought over by questionable means. Sometimes they were given, you know, put, well, we'll go into it here in a second. Mercedes-Benz was especially concerned about the safety of these gray vehicles and had conducted its own experiment. They purchased a 1985 500 SEL with airbags, and it turned out it was, that it was actually a 1984 vehicle, did not have airbags, and extra parts were added dangerously just to match local laws. Unfortunately, a lot of these gray market cars had similar issues, and combined with American car manufacturers getting angry over losing the consumers... In 1988, the Vehicle Safety Compliance Act was put into law, thus prohibiting the import of any non-U.S. car under 25 years of age. So to be fair, the rule was initially meant to stop gray market cars from endangering their citizens while still opening up room for classic car enthusiasts, as there are zero obligations for cars over 25 years of age. But unfortunately, the R34 was produced between 1999 and 2002, meaning we should wait at least four more years to legally import early R34s, or January of 2024. So there are some solutions to this, and I won't go into all of them, but one solution is, is you can buy it in Canada, because they only have a 15-year rule, but then you've got to figure out how to get it down to the United States. You can have the cars outfitted and crash test them and all sorts of craziness. Uh, there's fraudulent ways, obviously, you can bring these cars in. In the past, you were able to take out the engine and, sh and ship the engine separate from the car, then the car is classified as a parts car, and then when it gets to the U.S., you can put them back together, but apparently that no longer works. There's a local lady here in Cincinnati, um, Brenda, that has a TVR, and apparently she brought it in in the early 2000s and had to do exactly that to get it in, and apparently it was the first one in the U.S., so that's kind of cool. So, what's a potential solution? Why don't you buy it now in Japan, store it in Japan, and have it sent over when it hits the 25-year mark? I mean, that's just brilliant, right? Why hasn't anyone else thought of this? Well, it turns out there is a company that did think of this. The company is called Top Rank Importers, and I hope to have the owner, Sean, on at some point to talk about JDM cars. I did shoot him an email. I didn't hear back from him in time for this episode. But let me tell you what he says on his website. Top-rank importers can find and buy a vehicle that is not yet 25 years old and store it in Japan for you until it is 25 years old. 
Then Top Rank will ship it to the U.S. In Japan, Top Rank can handle any service or modifications you're looking to do. Buy now and help lock in prices today. So it's a brilliant idea. I love the business model. It sounds like there's a lot of costs involved. I know parking alone in Japan is expensive. Anyways, for here it says the R34 GTR version of the Nissan Skyline starts to turn 25 years old and legal to import to the U.S. starting in January 2024. From 1999 to 2002, there were 11,578 built. There are eight different versions of the R34 GTR, and they were sold in four regions beside Japan. There were 14 different colors, although QM1 white was the most popular color, blah, with 25.77%, followed closely by TV2 Bayside Blue with 24.87%. I'm assuming that purple color I mentioned earlier is pretty rare. We are happy to be able to offer this option to purchase a R34 Nissan Skyline GTR in advance to avoid the inevitable price increase as we get closer to 2024. And I'm sure there will be a big price increase. The cars are not eligible for import until that time. Current prices, now this is from February, range from $115,000 to $200,000 based on condition. Certain models such as the M-Spec NUR and Midnight Purple cars are currently in the ballpark of over $250,000. These prices will increase as we get closer to the first date of eligibility. So buy it now. We do have a few R34 Skyline GTRs in inventory in Japan available for purchase now with one of our storage plans. Cha-ching! Okay, there are other costs in addition to the price of the car. There is a cost of $5,500 for export and import to the U.S., this price is all-inclusive and includes transport to our facility in Cypress, California. Import tariffs are subject to change, so we cannot guarantee the current tariff of 2.5% will be the same at the time the car is imported. Storage for the car in Japan is additional. I'm really curious to see what that would cost. We have multiple storage options, options and costs. Maintenance and modifications while in storage are an option as well. Costs are based on your preference. So, R34s are hot. They're apparently the best ever of the Godzillas. They have the most options, the most power, uh, probably the best well-built. After the R34s, I don't know if they were called R35s, but I don't believe they are desirable. Uh, those were 2001 to 2005, and then the next gen was 2006 on. I haven't heard anything about those being desirable at all as high-performance cars, but maybe they are. My question is, for this R34, will the cost of the car, plus storage, plus insurance, plus maintenance, plus shipping, plus tariffs, plus whatever else I'm not thinking of, will it be outpaced by the valuation trend? So you buy a car for 200 grand, you know, maybe you have 30 grand in it for storage and shipping and tariffs and taxes, so you're at 230. You bring it to the U.S., is it now worth 230 or is it a losing proposition? That's all very interesting stuff. We will know in two and a half years. So I will hopefully have another JDM update before then. I'm sure I will. If you're a JDM fan, ping me. Let me know what you would like to know more about. And I am learning as we go. And I would be happy to learn more and would love to learn more about JDM cars. So as always, thank you for listening. And I will talk to all of you next week. Thanks for listening to the Collector Car Podcast. Don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes and be sure to follow us on Instagram and everywhere else at the Collector Car Podcast.